we're introducing Chromecast Ultra, our most premium TV streaming most device today. Chromecast Ultra brings everything you already love about Chromecast, plus even crisper picture and better performance. You will now be able to cast your favorite content in up to 4K Ultra HD resolution with HDR and Dolby Vision support. I'm just going to say, this might be the coolest runs Linux of the day, right there. Right, don't you think? That's, that's, That's pretty neat. That is pretty neat. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 165 for October 4th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's full of possibilities. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. I don't know what that means, but I'm going with the Wes. We're going to find out today. We do have a lot of possibilities. Coming up on this week's episode of the Unplugged program, major updates from our favorite open source projects. At least some of them. We'll give you a rundown of the news and updates that I think you're going to care about, including some really cool tools and something that I've been geeking out about since Wes linked it to me. You know where. <laughs> then we'll tell you a little bit more about our trip to the Open Daylight Summit. I'm going to try to also pick Wimpy's brain about his usage yeah. of Open Media Vault. It's kind of a follow-up to an episode we did a little bit ago. And then we have a couple of interviews from the Open Daylight Summit. And, and this time, I thought we'd, since we talked about this in the past, we tried to wrap our head around how a, a major company like Ericsson's using it to, to roll out 5G networking. We'll talk How about... How many Gs is that? Five! And we'll tell you what 5G networking is and uh, why software-defined networking and open-source standards are important. Yeah, don't don't run away. Don't don't run away. I hope it may be applicable to your life. And then we'll have an interview with Heather and Chris. Heather's from the Linux Foundation, and Chris is from Ericsson. I think he's also... He sits on the Open Daylight uh, Project uh, board. And uh, they talk about why the Linux Foundation cares about this and a really cool continuous testing environment they set up. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that is – it's geeky, it's nerdy, and it's so neat. (laughs) So we'll be talking about that on today's episode of the Unplugged program. But before – before we go any further, we must bring in that mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello. Hello. Hello, guys. It's good to have you here. Uh, now, I don't know how many of you were able to make it last week because I couldn't hear you. <laughs> I love you, Noah. Uh, but I did want to give a shout out to Noah for episode 164 of the Unplugged program, Dial Up Linux. Thanks, Brown Bear. <clears throat> yeah, that was great because we were down at Open Daylight. And uh, just as we were sort of wrapping up, I tuned into the very end of the yeah, show. Me too. And uh, I think he was in full swing by then. Now, some of you have – a lot of you have written it and said you loved it. Uh, some of you have written like it and said that, oh, my God, my head hurts. Don't ever, don't ever change my Unplugged show again, um, which I thought was kind of funny because it's sort of a no-format show to begin with. I mean we kind of have a formula we follow a bit, but that's it's just out of habit. closest to the yeah. actual – I mean – Yeah. But I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, I don't know. Anybody in the mumble room, did anybody have any like director's hats – that where they were wearing their hat, and they're like, gosh, you know, from a director's perspective, from a production pers- perspective, or even from a listener's perspective. Do you have any feedback that uh, from the dial-in episode, the call-in edition of the Unplugged show? And, uh, and keeping in mind that uh, I think Noah would very much like to, to spin this off into its own show one day. Mm-hmm. So this could eventually become its own separate additional Linux program. So if you have any thoughts on that, too, I'd like to hear it. I open it up to you, Mumble Room. There was, there was only a few issues. Like the, the main thing is that the Mumble... The mumble group couldn't say anything. 
Right. Yeah, there was a – and I think he already has that figured out. So the ta- that yeah, tech problem is solved. I think he's got like a whole new audio rig to do it. <laughs> he went all in. Yeah, other than that, it was, it was great. Yeah, I thought – I thought what was really exciting about it is it it really could potentially become well. First of all, we have a pretty big base to pull from just by people that email into our shows asking us questions all the time. And if we just write back, yeah, that's a great question. Why don't you call in on Tuesday? Because a lot of the questions, there's one or two follow up questions right. we you have. You need a little dialogue, yeah. and you can really get to the heart. So of it. there's already a good base there to pull from for calls. And then on top of that, the word could start spreading around that hey, if you switch to Linux and you end up having there's a problem. There's this guy you can call, and he is all about getting people to use Linux, and he will totally help you. Mm-hmm. And that could be a really good thing for Linux. And you know, okay, like, probably got other people to do some time on there answering questions. Let's put it another way. And the Linux, the business side of Linux was interesting. Too. Yeah, oh, that's true. Now let's put that. Here's another way to think of that. Imagine when you switch somebody to Linux, you could now ha- you there could now be a, a support number that you could give them for them to call when they have problems. Like that's that would that, be pretty nice. Isn't that great? I really think this show has some potential to offer some some benefit. So I thought uh, what I there's a lot of a lot I liked a couple of things I've already given Noah my feedback. Sure. Um, so yeah, so thank you to Noah for doing that. And so 164, if you haven't heard it yet, Noah hosted while Wes and I were down to the Open Daylight Summit, and he took calls, answered questions. He had a call screener with a queue. I mean, he really went all out. And he's, you know, the other thing that's really cool about it is he's using free Linux software to do it all. Exactly. Now, um, <clears throat> unless anybody else, in the, I don't want to cut anybody out. Any other thoughts in the mumble room before we go? Yeah. Okay. Um, like, um, I just want to reiterate what Michael said. I like without the mumble room participating, it kind of felt boring to me. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily. I'm not saying the show is bad. I think if the mobile room was participating and helping Noah out or they had some insight on it, it would have been a lot better of a show. If it was its own show, I could see people tuning into it for sure. Yeah, I mean, just for having the backup support, I think it's a good idea to have the mumble room and there. extra color. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, and just to break up the yeah. uh, the the voices a little bit. Rekai points out. I think this is something I I, I think I mentioned to Noah myself is voicemail during the week. So if calls run low or something like that, maybe we could just have voicemails that people Absolutely. can play. Noah definitely wants live calls so that way he can ask them back and forth questions. Right. So that's that's a key thing. But maybe adding like a SIP endpoint so people can call directly over SIP. He could totally do that. BSTN. That would be really nice and save some like money. Opus because he was. Paying for uh, yeah, exactly. If you're rich, it was a one eight hundred number, but he pays. That means he pays for the time. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, which we'd have to figure that out too. So this looks really exciting. I think I, I I've already got it downloaded on my machine, just not quite installed yet. KDE at twenty years old has released Plasma five point eight, and it is a long term support edition. LTS and LTS today the KDE today KDE releases its first long term support edition of its flagship desktop software Plasma. This marks the point where the developers and designers are happy to recommend Plasma for the widest possible audience, be they enterprise or non techie home users. If you've tried a KDE desktop previously and have been moved away, now is the time to reassess. Plasma is simple by default and powerful when needed. Now, God, that feels like it's almost written specifically to me. Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. I think that's... that. You're one of those people that could be, you know, easily courted right back. Yeah, and uh, I, I have tried it before and sort of walked away like a little, oh, well, I had this issue. I had uh-huh. that issue. I'm a little disappointed. And so they are kind of like, if you've been moved away, which is a good way to put it, too. Yeah, that is a good way to put it. Yeah. Anybody in the mumble room have the 5.8 release yet? Really, you do. Okay, Mr. Tanel, tell me what do you, what distro do you have it on, and what are your thoughts so far? 
Neon. Oh, yeah, of Pandemic. course. Yep. yep, that's what I've yep. downloaded too. Yeah. And what do you think so far? Um, I, I think it's awesome. Like, Arch hasn't had it yet, but, you know, so I couldn't test it on that. But Neon, it was like day, the day of immediately. It was actually available this morning before the announcement even happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I tested it on that. And it's really good. Like it, it, it's it's very similar to five point seven point five, which I had on that Neon install as well. Uh, but it was re- the the upgrade from five seven to five eight was awesome because it was super easy. It was just basically just an app upgrade, and that's it. Uh, but the 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 cool the coolest thing about it is it's just the, there's nice polish now. Like it, it's not like they they added a ton of new features. It was mostly just polish. Yeah, I think that shows they, in the they, release notes. Yeah, they addressed a lot of things that are complaints from most people, like the whole meta key only thing yeah. or yeah. like, you know, a, a fixing some widgets controls for like the audio controllers and stuff like that. And they added a lot of cool, interesting things like the effort. Why would you want it other than just being awesome? A video playing in the background when you log into your computer. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that is kind of one of those cool polish, awesome. you know, show off the Linux desktop. Yeah, we need yeah it's, it's, it's totally cool, and uh, I did use it, and it is fun. It's, but it, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's not necessary, but it is. It's really cool that you could you could change it in that that extreme. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, <clears throat> I had I had uh, I had some idea of what the uh, of what the headline features would be because I recorded the voiceover for their oh, video. Right. Yeah, yeah like weeks ago. Um, yeah, and so I kind of had an idea of what they were focusing on, and it was a good list of stuff. And I think I think. We kind of does echo something they've been saying for a while. We will tell you definitively. Like they've been saying this now for a little while. We will tell you definitively when it's ready. When it's time yeah. for the average folk. Uh, should I play the video? Sure. Even though it's it. myself, which is I mean, kind of weird. I'd say do it. Yeah. The the EQing is done. They've done is a little differently, so uh, it doesn't quite. So- I don't know if it even quite sounds like me. You can be the judge. But uh, I thought it was a great video that highlighted a lot of their features, which was I kind of ribbed them about. In the past, when five seven or whatever came out, I said, you know, mm-hmm. you really kind of need. It's two thousand sixteen. It's time to have a video up the production. Yeah, so here. they, <laughs> so they put, they made me put my uh, my foot in my mouth, or what's that saying? What's it called when you somebody calls you money on your bluff? Money where your mouth is, huh? Money where my mouth is. Yeah, except for they didn't. There was no money transaction. But your here. Uh, video production skills where your mouth. This is was right? just this was money. This was just done for the project. There was no money, so it's more like me, yeah, <laughs> internet internet cookie in my mouth or mm-hmm. something like that. In my mouth. After a few hard months of work, the KDE community is pleased to announce Plasma 5.8 Long-Term Support Edition. This version will be supported for at least 18 months, so if you haven't tried Plasma Desktop yet, take a look at some of its unique features. With desktop widgets, you can easily organize your files, monitor the system, and quickly launch favorite apps, and more. Plasma lets you easily search your desktop for applications, folders, music, video files, everything you have. Plasma's default theme, Breeze, has a unified look across all common application toolkits. Download wallpapers, window styles, widgets, desktop effects, and many other resources straight to your desktop from the KDE store. Using KDE Connect, you'll be notified on your desktop about text messages, can easily transfer files, and even use your phone as a remote control. Plasma is simple by default, but you can customize it however you like with new widgets, panels, screens, and styles. But this isn't all. Plasma 5.8 brings even more features and improvements to your desktop. This release brings an all-new artwork design, giving you a complete breeze startup to shut down experience. Support for Semitic right-to-left written languages such as Hebrew and Arabic have been greatly improved. 
plasma wallpaper plugins such as slideshows and animated wallpapers can now be used on the lock screen. Huh. Yeah, they did a rickroll. Mm-hmm. You can watch the whole video in the show notes if you want. It's a couple minutes long. So, uh, pretty nice release. So, I think I'm... Uh, I got to download it, and I think Noah's got to download it, and he's an LTS guy to begin sure with, so this is. seems perfect for him, yeah. so I think we're going to give it a review on uh, Sunday's Linux Action Show. Something to look forward to. Now, we have a, a kind of an interesting news item. It's it's a little name collision today. Uh, we're introducing Pixel, but not the Google Pixel, not the Google kind. No, this is the Raspberry Pi kind, and it's their new fancy-schmancy desktop environment. <clears throat> oh, where is it? I have the little definition somewhere here. What, what did Pixel stand for? Where I have is the, that? Oh, here we go. Pi Improved X is. Windows Environment, comma, yeah. lightweight. Yeah, Pi Improved X Windows Environment, lightweight. And uh, my, uh, my, my main takeaway from it is it's not like it's like some new X server or something like that. It's essentially a set of changes that entirely are around the imper- appearance of the desktop. The first thing you'll notice when you reboot is they now have a nice – Purdy splash screen that they say they've done a lot of work to not nice. slow down the pie. Once the desktop appears, you'll notice a nice stunning background taken by one of uh, their very own, and there's several of them preloaded. You'll also notice that the icons on the taskbar, menu, and file manager have gotten a big makeover. Big improvement there, sort of sp- spiffing it up a little bit. If you open up a window, you'll, you'll see the window frame design has changed significantly. The old window design always looked a bit dated compared to what Apple and Microsoft are now shipping. So they were keen to update it. Windows now have subtle curves on the corners, Ooh. clear title bars, new icons for the uh, open, minimize, and close. Fonts have gotten improved, even with a mention to Steve Jobs. And uh, this is an interesting one. On, I guess, request by a lot of Raspberry Pi users, they want to be able to shut off the wireless from within the UI. So now there are options in the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth menus to turn off relevant devices. Nice. Works with Pi 3's onboard wireless hardware. And should work on most external Wi-Fi and Bluetooth dongles. I like this. Um, they're packaging in uh, chromium for the Pi with uh, yeah, that's hardware big, acceleration. Yeah, so they're switching out from Epiphany to chromium, chromium for the Pi, which uses the Pi's hardware-accelerated playback for streaming content. That's pretty slick. Yeah, they're also including uBlock Origin, AdBlock by default, H.264. EFI extensions, which force YouTube to serve videos in a format which can be accelerated by the Pi's hardware. And it's available for download right now. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It seems to be um, – they seem to be trying to make it a more user-friendly, out-of-the-box mm-hmm. OS. But doesn't that sort of suggest <sighs> – I guess one of the things I liked about Raspberry Pi was that it truly was divorced from any – like I know that there's always been Raspbian and they've been close, but it always feels like – it always feels like there's been a divorce there between a, a distance, a separation of church and state, if you will, between the OS you run on it and the Raspberry Pi hardware. Like, I understand that they ship it sometimes with an SD card mm-hmm. preloaded, but in my – that didn't necessarily mean that there was an OS all of a sudden that they were going to start throwing in behind to try to promote as, like, the primary OS you run all the time on a Raspberry Pi. Am I, maybe I misunderstood? I mean, I guess, I guess that's true, but I don't know if that is really changed with this. I mean, it, it Maybe it feels more that way, but I feel like a lot of people who use it who aren't more experienced, you know, aren't the power users, aren't using it in, uh, you know, a project that they know right away or maybe using it more just to play with or as a desktop. Uh, they're going to follow one of the guides that has them install one of the easier operating systems. So in that effect, there kind of is already a default. Um, but, I mean, there's there's not really because of the, the – this doesn't change anything as far as, like, how stuff is installed because most people are still going to use Noobs, the Noobs installer. Because it's it's a such an easy process to get installed. Mm. So and and this is not going to be like only this and just they're still having 
uh, OpenELEC and uh, Pydora and all this other stuff yeah, sure. and noobs. Yeah. So and it, it, it is nice that this will be better. I mean, prettifying. Wimby, I'm just ca- making it look better for having LXDE because LXDE about to fall. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And that is a good thing, absolutely. I'm not by any way saying it's not, that's not a good thing. But I, Wimby, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are because I know that uh, Ubuntu Mate is extremely popular on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, so it's a device you probably have some experience with. Does this seem like a good move, something that's worth their time? Um, yeah, well, uh, hmm. how do I answer this without coming across overly negative um first the first thing is i think that the browser work uh with chromium and the uh video acceleration is probably the most relevant and interesting stuff to come out of this initiative i think that's brilliant and i'm looking forward to finding the time to have a little look around and see how that's been implemented to see what i can um, borrow from what they've done there um the name conflict collision is um unfortunate and i how how that happened i just can't imagine Yeah, we've known seems... the name pixel now for i know we had the google yeah. pixel is is you know a re-envision of the already existing google pixel so they they didn't really need to do that and they chose <laughs> a they and they chose the the uh, it was a backronym they picked pixel on the in the first place yeah, and I know. tried to make yeah. it work yeah 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 so so that's hmm. Still, though, I don't. The, that doesn't the, necessarily mean you have to go with the name. But yeah, right. yeah. The, colli- the naming yeah. collision is confusing. Yeah, and and the uh, the thing I'm a little bit perplexed about. If you read the blog post, there's a couple of things that stand out from this, and that's that the guy that's done this and he's clearly put a lot of work into it. He acknowledges that when he um, started on this, he had little to no experience with uh, Linux and X mm. and mm-hmm. X de- desktops and all the rest of it. And it looks like two years of effort have gone into this based on LXDE that people in the Linux community know is yesterday's news is the thing that's being replaced. So this was my concern too. Effort yeah. into this mm-hmm. and it's immediately yeah. laden with technical debt. Yeah. And I think that that's really unfortunate that they've built this around something that is effectively obsolete now. Yeah, and I think the the art and the fonts they, uh, and the icons all look really good, but there are also open source licensed theme packs and icons out there that are also very very good, and they're free to use. Mm-hmm. It felt like to me it was a lot of work on a system that doesn't have a lot of legs, and it sounds to me also like it is the beginning of something much larger because the way they phrase it in the blog post is. Currently, we focused on appearance, but it sounds like the overall goal is to make a faster, more dynamic desktop. And 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 part of the name, part of the backronym includes the X. The it, it felt it felt to me as if they were going to do everything they could to make it faster on X with LXDE. Yeah, and I thought to myself, well, why LXDE and why X11? Why is that? What you, why are you going to invest why in these that, things? Exactly. Why is that where you standardize? Where you focus? Yeah, and that that new boot screen they worked on it, it probably took a hell of a lot of work because, mm-hmm. like Wimpy said, they spent a lot of time working on that particular thing. It's a very X focused project, so it does feel like investing on the the past of Linux when the Raspberry Pi is such a future looking device when it comes to resources, availability, the ARM platform. The price. Right. Yeah, exactly. It seems to be sort of a mismatch. It does seem like a mismatch. Or or perhaps just like things that could have been 
that's efforts that perhaps would have been better in projects more tightly knit with the community or that have existing communities? It, mm. it kind of feels like they chose LXDE because just for the sake of lightness, not for like basically ignoring everything else. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just momentum. You know, they have momentum there. That could be that. Well, it's weird because LXDE is, is only like 10% lighter than Mate. Yeah, we've had that debate, and I agree. I think it also you can make you could make a lot of different desktops lighter or heavier depending on how you configure them. Um, and I, you yeah. know, we've been also we've been looking at LXQT and looking at where its resources are. And yeah, there's a little more there, but you're looking yeah, at a Raspberry Pi three. That's that's the desktop to watch right now. I agree. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Besides Mate, Mate. Well. Uh, or, or Unity. <laughs> yeah, or apparently oh, right, maybe yeah. maybe there's hope for Unity after all. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I want to move into something that I know Wimpy's going to be fired up about, real fired up about. So before we get there, before we go too much further, we've got a big show coming up, and I want to thank DigitalOcean for making it possible. I want to thank all of you who use our promo code Unplugged. It's one word. Lowercase, you apply it to your account, you get a $10 credit. That's a vote to keep us on the air. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up a server on their crazy great infrastructure. Their pricing is nuts. It's super valuable for the kind of rigs you get and the performance you can get. They got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. I think I'm even missing one in there now. Any more data centers? You're going to run out of breath there, Chris. No. No, bring it. Bring it! Also, their interface, it's the best. They have a really great intuitive control panel. It gets me fired up about DigitalOcean. Go over there and try it. And then one of the nice things is they have a really beautiful, well-documented, stri- elegant. Listen, what else, what else can I throw in there? Come on, give me another word, Wes. Elegant. Simple. Well-designed. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, I, need another, I need another buzz Blue. term. Uh, blue, sure. <laughs> no, that's not No, that's not Cloudy. Oh, cloudy. Yeah, cloudy. Um manageable, scalable. Oh, I'm on fire, Wes. I've got it. I'm back in the flow. Enterprise friendly. Yeah. Ready, secure, implementable, auditable. Oh, measurable. I got it all, Wes. That is the, but really the DigitalOcean API, what's great about it is it's it's well documented and there's a ton of code already written you can take advantage of. In fact, when you look over there at their uh, community projects page, one that might jump out at you if you are a Unity user is the DigitalOcean Indicator. This is an indicator that allows you to manage and manage your droplets directly from your panel, fool. You can quickly see which droplets are active. You can reboot, power on, power down your droplets. You can copy your droplets IP like a boost for easy access. And, of course, there's all kinds of other great code already written. You can just take advantage of it. Use our promo code DOMPLUG, get a $10 credit, go spin up a $5 rig, guys. $5 rig over at DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DOUnplugged and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. Woo-woo. Yeah, yeah. All right, Wimpy, don't lie. You're totally stoked about Jahasha? <laughs> Jashaka. Jashaka. Who now? Now, this is a VR world creator that allows... Oh, uh-huh. move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it's GPL. Moving on. So this <laughs> this is actually a story that's worth talking about. Uh, unsafe at any clock speed. The Linux security, the Linux kernel security needs a rethinking. Uh, this is ours reporting for the Linux kernel security summit. Uh, and here is how they started up. This is how they spin it up. The Linux kernel today faces an unprecedented safety crisis, much like when Ralph Nader famously told the American public that their cars were unsafe at any speed. Back in 1965, numerous security developers told the 2016 Linux Security Summit in Toronto that the operating system needs a total rethink 
to keep it fit for its purpose, a.k.a. not fit for the gerb. Strong words. Cars were designed to run, but not to fail. That's, this is uh, Keyes Cook. He's the head of the Linux kernel self-protection project at Googs. And he's an employee that's working at Googs on the future of Internet t- things security, whatever that means. And he said at the summit that while it's very comfortable while you're driving to go down the road, as soon as you crashed, everybody died in these old cars. That's not acceptable anymore, he added. And in a similar fashion, Linux kernel needs to deal with attacks in a manner where it actually is expecting them and actually handles them gracefully in some fashion when it's being attacked. Like, don't don't just do your – he goes to point out, we approach security today as though we are just still living in the world of the 1990s and 2000s. Computers in a data center managed by knowledgeable people. But most computers today, laptops, smartphones, and Internet of Things devices are not managed and secured by Internet – Boy, that last by category IT professionals. especially, right? Yeah. And uh, he points out that – so these ha- the kernel has to be designed in a way that it assumes it's going to be tacked. And then – and then he kind of rubs it in with some stats and details, and ours sort of does a beautiful job of uh, summarizing this if you guys want to check out the link in the show notes. The clear consensus at the Linux Security Summit was that the squashing of bugs is a losing strategy. Many deployed devices running Linux will never receive security updates, and patching a security hole in the upstream kernel code does nothing to ensure the safety of an Internet of Things device that could be used for a decade and may forever be ignored by the manufacturer. Exactly, right. We've seen this with routers. We see this with Android devices. There's only going to be more. I'm sure Chromecast will be like we – we started the show talking about Chromecast. I'm sure Chromecast will be like yeah. – will be in this category one day. Uh, worse, the average lifetime of a critical security bug in the Linux kernel from introduction during a code commit to public discovery and having a patch issued averages three years or more. This is why everybody should be rolling. According to <laughs> Cook's analysis – Critical and high-severity security bugs in the upstream kernel have lifespans of 3 to 3.3 years to 6.4 years between commit and discovery. That's kind of a long time to be it's out there circulating. Got here too, though. Yeah. Yeah, including uh, they have some, they have some like, uh, pies, they have some pie charts here where they're looking at Android security bugs, and they're looking at where most Android vulnerabilities come from. And this is an interesting statistic. Only 15% of vulnerabilities in Android's kernel came from upstream. Only 15%. 85% of the bugs in the Android kernel came from device driver manufacturers. Wow. Sounds just like Windows. It does. <laughs> so uh, he says the kernel maintainers have to get ready for this kind of thing. They have to build Linux to be expected for attacks. To get it ready. You're going to get attacked. So just... Design in a way where it can sort of manage that situation. It's funny how much this is a symptom of Linux success, right? Like, now that it's everywhere, you have to start designing for that. And it will be used in situations where people don't understand it or really know what's happening, and you have to to plan for all of that. And especially when you're going to be in these, they're going to be built in so many embedded devices that just sit on the shelf. I think the the, the, the line in there that, that sort of hit me the, the best is that bug fixing is just not enough. Mm-hmm. And because of enterprises where they have slow patch cycles and device manufacturers who don't properly update, we have Linux out there in these devices where there's this really long tail of production because they just work. They just freaking work forever. Yeah, you don't need a super RAM upgrade or whatever in your tiny. And so that just means it's hanging out there with its, with its fly down for years. 
Got his D swinging in the wing. I think it's wind. nice to see more talks about this because, you know, yeah. obviously a couple of years ago, there's lots of complaints in the community and from outside people just about, you know, kind of it, it was, it did feel like it was like the nineties or two thousands. Like it was a bunch of people just making this kernel, just making it work without really considering the full market effect. And obviously that's hard when it's built in this open source way, but it's, it's nice to see that people are really paying it full attention. Yeah, and what kind of changes will Linux have to make in order to stay competitive? If it doesn't make those changes, will another kernel come along right. for these types of devices that does? And I hope they can do a good job of like looking at other kernels, other projects that are more security-focused. OpenBSD comes to mind, or you know, GR security people, and try to incorporate some of those approaches. Yeah, that, you know, and what are code. they doing that is more proactive and not just squashing bugs? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Inigogo says this seems like bad journalism and thinking that developers are robots. I, well, I, it's coming from the developer community, and they're just saying we need to rethink. We can't just treat fixing bugs as – so Linus was quoted as saying he doesn't look at security bugs and regular bugs separately because they're all just bugs that need fixed. And there is some – there is absolutely some some nice sound logic behind that. But at the same time, there is also a conversation, I think, a conversation worth having but, around how do we design this thing to be – plan to get attacked? How does this thing operate when it knows it's going to get attacked? It's it's not just it's going to assume that once you're inside, everything's trusted. Like, how do we design this thing a little bit differently? What can we tweak? I think that might be worth discussing. We'll see. Yeah, A lot coming out of Google, security-wise. Mm-hmm. Project Zero, they have their own fork of uh, OpenSSL. They have uh, this guy who's working on Internet of Things future security, yep. and they're attending Linux events. I mean, there's a lot. Google's really focused on this right now. They're putting some money in this. Well, I feel like you know they're they're trying to be in the consumer space and the vendor space, and people yeah. say security is a huge thing yeah. that you know you can be audited for. Yeah. You need to have to be yeah. able to sell. All right, I wanted to ask the mumble room because there was a thread on our Linux submitted a few days ago by uh, Dark Delta or something like that. I can't remember the guy's name, Darko Delta or something. And he asked, "What are things that you would do?" To change Linux. Like, if you could just snap your fingers and change something about Linux. So we were just talking about the security thing, and that's what made me think about this. If you could change anything, and I, I wanted, to, I want to really throw it to the mumble room, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, it was pointed out, uh, you know, that for um, this security thing could be something that you know, if you could just snap your fingers and change how security is done, would you change it? What about you, Wes? If you could snap your fingers, is there something you would change about Linux? Hmm. You like it? I, I mean, I do like most things. Yep. Uh, I, I think there could be something to said about a better. Not not closeness, but there's there's something about right now. I feel like especially just like the even though there is like the you know core funding initiatives and that kind of stuff. There's ah. this disconnect. Like I feel like we talk yeah. about the kernel a lot, yeah. but are we excited as about like you know core utils development or a lot of the other parts of the user land? And the BSDs kind of have that a little more rolled in. It's, yeah. it's cohesive. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I change that because I think in some ways it's really cool, sure. right? We have different, different C libraries. You yeah. can, it's, Over the I long think it's great. Good, but yeah. but okay. okay, I follow. I wonder if there could be a better ecosystem. All right, let's pull the crank and ask the mumble room. Uh, Mr. Tanel, I believe I heard you. Did you have something you wanted to mention you would change? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the most important first thing that cranked to mind is universal apps. Snap packages for all. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Uh, app pack and uh, flat pack. You Haven't c- you heard of You Docker? don't even care. He actually doesn't even care. He just wants everybody to use it. Right? Yeah, I don't care which one, yeah. is, which one is successful. Just I just want one to be successful so that, yeah. you know, uh, game developers, software developers, doesn't matter. They all have one thing to work on, and no matter what distro you choose, you can use the software that's made for the, the ecosystem. Let's see. I want to ask William if he's, in, if, he's got, if he's near his mic, but I'll give him a chance to think about it. I'd like to hear from WW, too. But, uh, Wimpy, i got to go to you. Since you're a distro maker, you know I was going to ask you this. If there was something you could snap your fingers and change, 
Would it be something about Linux itself? Would it be something about the community, the way we collaborate? What would you change? This is a really tough question. I agree. Is, to yeah. think of think of one thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I've got nothing nothing solid in my mind that I'm just going to say this is the one thing. I can think of lots of little things, but no one big thing. So ask around, and if I come up yeah. with something, I'll let you know. That's how I actually feel myself, is I don't have one thing. I could think of the way the community interacts from time to time, mm-hmm. uh, the way we process information. Uh, uh, the, I, I, I suppose – okay, I have one. I have one. All right, I have one. I'll save it. Uh, William, do you happen to have one by any chance? I don't think so. Go on once, go on twice. What about you, Mr. WW? Do you have one by any chance? I do have one, and it's kind of been a pet peeve of mine since, like, the nine. Oh, well, since since I first started in, in getting into Linux with my friends back in the 90s. And that is, I would remove the mindset of people that they think that they should be running Linux on old hardware all the time, or this is the best way to do things, because it's not. This old hardware is holding us back and supporting it and just keeping it around and is just, it's an old kind of way of thinking about the kernel and development of Linux and not really letting hmm. us yeah. focus so on the mindset. things. Yeah, a mindset. Yes. Oh, okay, I can, I can follow that. But Mosenrath, you had one uh, around collaboration. Yeah, um, I was thinking that it'd be nice if, because if you take a look at, say, uh, DistroWatch, all those uh, different distros that you could say didn't make it. If you could somehow, I guess you would need the most powerful in the universe, right? American greenbacks. Go and hunt down, say like 50, 100 of those people worked on these things and it just never really took off. You get all of those people because they all had ideas. Maybe they didn't have quite the chops individually, but you get a legion of them, right? And you just put them on on to say different distros which have made it say like one in the top 20 not necessarily one of the top 10 because those ones are usually backed by companies but you say one of the top 20 that doesn't have a huge company behind it and you just have just that, that legion of of literally of, of wisdom of experience hmm. of knowledge I like it. all focusing together that yeah. in terms of hey my project didn't work all of the, our projects individually didn't work but we get together as a team it's sort of like when you're lifting a log, one person by themselves, that's going to be real difficult. You get 10, 20 of them, all of them, all of a sudden, a couple mm-hmm. of them say, dig a hole here. A couple of them say, get some rope here. And all of a sudden, you can lift a whole bunch of logs and make you know a nice little anything that you yeah. want with them. Because now you have a team of people yeah. all in one as, as the song says, one pimp strut groove that, that, to uh, actually make it work. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting a little inspired. Hmm. Mosin Rath, that, that open sauce runs deep. That's a good one. I like that. Um, I will, I'll give you mine. Here's, I got two. I was thinking about it. Number one is not a huge one, but I think it would better serve the Linux community and how they inform themselves, how they come to opinions, and about what technologies they'd back if we could get our heads out of our ass and drop the whole... Um, Cult of personality. It's something that Aaron Saigo wrote about years ago. I continue to think about it. There are personalities out there that people believe the things they say simply because 
they have a name they've heard of or somebody they've, yep. you know, that thing drives me nuts because it allows people to get led around like sheeps. So that's, and, and all of it, even people who are technically proficient, like somebody I respect, like uh, Lenart, who I thought made a lot of great cognitive uh, um, arguments for System D. There were still people who would just pick up pitchforks because Lenart was for something or because he, on either side. Yep. yep. So that would be one thing I would change. The other thing I would like to change, I think, is how involved the community is with funding. They're very involved with code, documentation, and especially evangelism. Yes. I would really love to see more more money where our mouths are in terms of funding open source projects, contributing to them, um, and, and, and allowing the public to fund things that deserve better focus, better surfacing. So that way, the projects and the outlets that are funded by maybe certain media backers or certain corporate sponsors that currently have a louder voice or currently have a larger presence could be more properly competed with by smaller independent news outlets and open source projects in a way that's on a more competitive advantage and it's up to the audience to kind of step up for that mm-hmm. and i would if i could change if i if i could change one damn thing it would be to have more linux users and more open source users contributing money financially back upstream to the projects and the things that they use and maybe the content they consume. You kind of get a you kind of get a nice perspective for it all when you look at this website that I've sort of been obsessed with that uh, Wes uh, linked to me. It's uh, GitHub.audio, and you're hearing it in the background right now. It's a sonification of what goes on at GitHub. Yeah, and there's representations with different tones and blips on the radar. Well chosen, artfully like, chosen. There's a big one. That's a big one right there. Something just dropped. So you visualize commits to GitHub, right? That's what this is, is an in perspective with their size and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of something, I don't know if you ever saw it for Bitcoin. Did you ever see this for Bitcoin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Visualizing or sound fine yeah. blockchain. And it's it. I, I left it up in a tab while I worked on the show today because it's just nice and peaceful. And if, it has you know, like an organic kind of, you know, sounds natural. Plus, there's something sort of inspiring to know that every one of those dings is a commitment of code. Look at the community go. That's kind of inspiring. Right. When you're working and you keep hearing people that are committing something to projects all over the world. Open source projects. Yeah, and just run it in your tab. GitHub.audio. I mean, you might even be able to find some projects this way, right? You're like, oh, these guys are just doing a yeah. lot of cool stuff. <laughs> really? maybe, I'll, maybe I'll check out that I, repo. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They're and also, so like X-Metal says in the chat room, I could totally fall asleep to that. Oh, yeah. You know what? I might try that tonight. I've been I looking might, for things to like, leave on as background Ooh, for my was, dog. There goes a big one. Perfect. Look at that. Big one. <laughs> Come on now. Even if you even if you just have the sound muted, it's still kind of neat it's from nice. a visual standpoint. For those of you in the audio audience, there are uh, blips. So how would you describe that, Wes? Sort of like pings on a on a map of uh, that sort of expand in proportion and their color like a, and their like size. Two D ripple. Yeah, a two D ripple in, and it's proportionally to the size of the commit and all of that. It's it's very fancy. So look at you. Look at you sending me a link that I I love. I know you so well. GitHub.audio. and it remind. I have uh, I have. Um, I have bookmarks for some old Bitcoin ones, but they got bought out. Wow. And now they serve malware, <laughs> so that's no good. Hey, malware as a service is an important part of malware as a service. Yeah, you know what? Speaking of important services, I want to tell you about my mobile service provider, and that's Ting. Why don't you go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com to learn more, get a twenty-five dollar discount off your first Ting device, or if you're like ninja level and you bring a Ting device, 
then you'll get $25 in service credit. And an average monthly ting line is about 23 bucks. So your service credit is going to pay for more than your first month. It did for mine, too. And that's kind of nice because Ting has CDMA and GSM networks. I'll say it again. Ting has CDMA and GSM networks. That's right, CDMA and GSM. So you get to pick which one works better for you and bring a device. They have radically good customer service, super good. You get to speak to a real human being. They can help you out, but they back it up with an incredible dashboard and an app for your mobile device. You know, I I laugh because – Mr. Tunnell in the uh, mumble room, producer uh, Tunnell, he had a really funny comment today. He's like, hey, you ought to mention this in the Ting spot. People could go pick up the LG Tribute 5, which just landed on Ting, for $121, no contract, no termination fee, and uh, and then go over to Amazon and pick up a uh, Rebel T5 digital SLR and still spend less money than you would would spend for the new Pixel. (laughs) See, I think he was just trying to make fun of me because I might buy a Pixel and I'm buying a new camera this week. (laughs) Really? Yep, it's going to be an expensive week, Chris. <laughs> that is going to be a very expensive week. So, yeah, the Tribute 2 was kind of a famous phone, and the Tribute 5 is back and bigger with a bigger display, bigger battery, front-facing cameras, all this business. It's, you know, it's it's actually a pretty decent phone for 121 bucks, and you'd have enough money left like over great, to get yourself like, an uh, SLR. <laughs> kid's phone, grandma's phone, you know, they need to – they or, want Instagram and they want email. Or if you just don't find yourself all that enthused about phones anymore, if smartphones are just yeah. not what, you know, floats your boat and you just need something that can do the basic things you want, run a recent version of Android – and, and no contract, that's no other really right there. Just having like a recent version of yeah. Android, that's pretty much everything you need. And 121 bucks, no contract, no other termination fee. That's a really great deal. I want you to go over to linux.ting.com. You get to put Linux in your URL bar, which is good because you want Linux in your history, let's be honest. You want that in there. Mm-hmm. You've got to stuff that URL history bar. I know what you've been up to. Linux.ting.com. They give you a discount off a device or they'll give you a discount off service if you decide to switch. And they got a savings calculator. I recommend you check it out. Linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged Program. So I thought before we got into talking about uh, the Open Daylight Summit and our interviews, rolling our interviews that we had with uh, some of the folks at Open Daylight Summit, we should give one more crack at explaining what the <laughs> F software-defined networking is. JB does SDN. Yeah, and uh, why it matters. And it is it is hard to describe because it is literally a um, nascent industry that is in flux, and a lot of people that are involved with it barely understand it. Yep. Well said, Chris. Well said. So it's really they hard. They won't say that, but it's true. Yeah. So for us coming here and, and then relaying the information to you, it's it, we kind of look like we're jackasses. But uh, software-defined networking itself isn't just open, – open daylight isn't the only software-defined networking controller game in town. It is one of the more open and community-based right. ones with multi-industry support, and it's one that the Linux Foundation has thrown their weight behind. And as we've shown, has an active community. So there's others though, like OpenFlow, right? That's a, that would be a, would that be considered? Uh, OpenFlow is the um, that's what is controlled by Open Daylight. Okay, so this is like the controller level stuff. Yes, but there are several other um, like Big Switch has one. There's a few other proprietary yeah, yeah. implementations of of OpenFlow controllers or things that interact with OpenFlow hardware. And so OpenFlow is able to be a controller that is that plugs in with Open Daylight because it follows a series of standards set forth by Open Daylight and Software Defined Networking. Like it follows these – it speaks these languages, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So OpenFlow is, is as, a, as a protocol then, it separates the control plane from the data plane uh, so that you can have this, this centralized, standardized 
Open Daylight provides this as the OpenFlow controller, which then sends configuration to all of the op- OpenFlow devices that actually end up switching your packets. And then that gets that programs the ASICs and other forwarding paths on the hardware to then implement your VPNs, implement your layer two switches, implement your routers. Your, yep, yep, yep. Your routes, your VLANs, all that stuff. <clears throat> so we, uh, to try to better understand what the F all of this means, we decided we would take a very precious Tuesday – uh, which is, you know, Wes has this this time carved out from his day job. We have this kind, we have this time set aside with the mumble room to do this show. It's not just like it's not just a thing we're flipping about. Like if we're going to go somewhere during Linux Unplugged. It really kind of needs to be worth it. Yeah. And so we decided to go down to uh, Bellevue and check it out. And it was the the whole event itself was it felt like it was really something set up for professionals that are in this industry that want to get information. Hey, uh, this is what I'm working on. This is what we're working on. It was also people that were giving talks that were sort of highlighting the fact that we were two separate open source projects kind of working on the same thing and now we've come together as one open source project. That was kind of neat to see. I think that was a pretty neat theme and it was interesting to see just how it kind of, you know, it took the Linux community kind of a while to get to this like different corporations working together setup and that's where Open Daylight is right now where they're, you know, I think it's like different different interest groups all seeing like we have this shared interest that we can all work on together. Now, just from a from like our experience standpoint, I have I have not stopped thinking about that burger I ate. I'm like still thinking about that burger oh, man, I got. Right. This Ugh. so I got I got it was an homage to Dick's, um, which Dick's is a burger restaurant here in Seattle that is sort of famous. Yeah, I think so. And I think most people when they come to Seattle, they like to get they like to go to Dick's and get themselves a ridiculous Dick's burger. They're super greasy burgers, and so this place made an homage to Dick's, and I decided I got to give it a try. And it was it was it was really really good, but. Uh, the bacon salt was impressive, but damn if Wes's burger – and I have a picture of this in the show ooh, notes. Ooh. If you're listening, you've got to see this that thing. Looked, mm, this, that thing is, this thing is nearly as tall as uh, – this thing stands taller than your cell phone. So imagine a burger <laughs> that is literally taller than your cell phone. It's probably taller than a can of Coke, right? It's taller than a can of Coke. It's taller so. than your cell phone. I think so. It is a legit. Do you remember what was on this thing? Like, there's egg, uh, there and was ham. There was ham, egg, a burger, hash browns. I think a hollandaise sauce was involved. Is that coleslaw? What's over here on the side? You know, is that's that, a good question. I'm not sure. Is pulled pork? I can't tell because it's. And then there's a sauce. It's literally sitting in a pool of its own sauce. Yeah, sauce, egg. There's a big bowl of tater tots <laughs> in the background there, slightly out of focus. Yeah, it was yeah. A, really a wonderful meal. Perfectly out of focus, you might note. Oh, yes. You mm, might note. Depth of field, oh, lovely. Yeah. Le- le- depth of field without two cameras. Somehow I managed to pull How it How did up. you do that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we had, I think it was neat to go down there. It was neat to talk to people, and we had a great chance to do some interviews. Um. And, you know, <laughs> it was fun to kind of just be outsiders trying to understand this whole community. There was definitely moments where it's like, boy, some of this is going way over yes. our head. And it was kind of hard to follow. But then there were other moments where like these are just struggles that all open source projects have. Exactly. These are common problems with organizing people. And how that, do you build this kind of community, this movement? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that kind of stuff was was clear and it was easy to, to sort of identify with and see. Uh, so I I had a good time going down there. I really I really enjoyed the trip. I enjoyed the opportunity to learn more. And so I wanted to kind of relay to some of you um, our experience. And I tried to do that in uh, the Linux Action Show last week. And then I wanted to follow up in this episode with a couple of more interviews to kind of help you better understand of how large enterprises are using this and how open source projects are using mm-hmm. this. So let's start on the business side of things. Let's start with the enterprise side of things. Because this is the most high. This will be the most high level interview that we have. 
the real big picture perspective. And what's great about it is uh, this is uh, Balaji, and he starts out by explaining what 5G is, what's 5G networking, and why software-defined networking is important in a 5G network. So not only do you get to learn about 5G networking, but you get to learn how this all comes together to support 5G networks. So that'll be Balaji, and then we'll have one more after this. And uh, that'll be more of a – the next interview will be more of like a community, real-life testing project, stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. All right. So here we go with the, with the high level. Yes, thanks for asking. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, so 5G is uh, – some people think 5G is, okay, we upgrade from 4G to 5G. Yeah. But actually, it's partially true. Uh, but 5G encompasses much bigger than that. 5G includes our access as well as the transport and the data center, the cloud. So pulling all more together, holistic. more of more of a holistic view. And then on top of that, also uh, in 5G, you know, the logical slicing of the of the network, it was already there in IP world, what we call virtual private network. Mm-hmm. In 5G, what we call network slicing, it's on a whole new level. So you'll slice the entire slice, network slice, on an existing network, logically separated, secured, isolated, to deliver, uh, for example, uh, to an automobile industry okay. or to a healthcare industry. But it's all connected over the 5G or, network. Exactly. It's all part of the 5G network. And also, we also on the top, how do you do the lifecycle management of the whole network slice? So you have the management layer, which is key, should be agile as well. That management layer consists of management and orchestration and analytics. So analytics will use it to close the loop. If there is a problem in the network, you can dynamically close the loop. Now, you may ask me, what's the role of SDN? Yeah, well, software-defined network goes across the board. Mm-hmm. So you can have an SDN for transport. So basically, the 5G requires to deliver services uh, faster, time to market, mm-hmm. and also from design of your service. If a customer asks, if a vertical industry like automobile industry come to an operator, hey, I need a service, uh, network slicing, uh, sorry, I need a service, so we could actually create, design the service, create the service from the entire, you know, the process, business process, service fulfillment, all the way to delivering services. Services, hmm. All these things should happen in few days. Right. Hmm. Uh, can't wait for a few months, right? Yeah. That's what the agility we're looking at. So with like SDN, you kind of have the ability to, exactly. to, to reprogram on the fly. Yes. Yeah. SDN is a cornerstone. It really is a catalyst, I call catalyst, to enable that 5G transformation sure. and, uh, you know, to for network slicing. For example, SDN applies in many areas. For example, to set up uh, end-to-end service, connectivity service. Uh, for in transport network, you need to have a SDN-enabled transport network mm-hmm. so I can dynamically set up the connectivity. Mm-hmm. Also, you you need to, you know, in 5G slicing, you need to have this mobile mobile core, which is virtualized. So you need to connect all the VNFs. The VNF could be virtual machines or it could be containers. Sure. So you need to make intra-data center connectivity. Right. SDN plays a role on that. Yeah. So orchestration, what the orchestration will do is it will connect all the dots. Sure. So, so it's actually make it manageable. Exactly manageable. Right. The full life oh, cycle so management. Yeah. So I, since you, you did a great point uh, talking about manageable, mm-hmm. because any service is uh, cradle to grave, right, the yeah. service. So uh, the dynamic nature of service is very critical. So, for example, if you create a mobile broadband service yep. and uh, the consumer are, are consuming that service and we are monitoring that, mm-hmm. you apply the analytics, Something happens to the mobile broadband slide. Remember, it's all virtual, right. right? So what we can do is using the orchestration and analytics and also leverage SDN. You can actually create a, another network slice, move your traffic, move the users. Mm. So all you can, production. exactly. This could be a stadium event. Imagine right. if there is a stadium and they want a, 
new uh, you know the network and yeah. services, right? Even events like this. Events like you, this, you want yeah. to build the whole thing that'll yeah. cost time and yeah. uh, money, right? Absolutely. This one is pretty easy. Maybe in 30 minutes you can create a mobile core hmm. using orchestration wow. and this thing. So. That is what's what's really neat about that is what we're talking about here is you could see how vendors could slice out their whole network that would span across multiple systems, multiple networks. And like I think the, he kind of highlights how you can dynamically change it, right? So you don't have to go back and like re-change your switches or update the configs or be like, oh no, now I need a router here and we need switches all this way and we need all these access points. You can kind of you can f- fill places with generic hardware and then yeah. on the fly you can be like, nope, I need two network partitions, a VPN connection from bridging these two networks, and it all. It just all gets programmed so, out there. Right after that, I asked him. I said, um, "Be honest with me. How how hard was it for Ericsson? And they're a big telco vendor for sure. How hard was it for you to switch over to something like this? Like, was this was this one of those things where like your company fought this tooth and nail?" And uh, he says, "No, it actually it just makes a ton of sense for them. It turned out it was obvious for them because there is a there is there has been enough left." By open daylight, and 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 there's enough uh, ambiguity around software-defined networking that there's a real need for people that understand huge networks and expertise to bring all this stuff together. And so for Ericsson, they don't feel like they're uh, competitively disadvantaged working with the open daylight platform. They feel like, well, we've learned this thing, and we know how to make all of them connect. Like I, I got I got a sense from them. They're truly. They had a lot of people there. They were really invested it in seemed, something like this. It seemed very legitimate. And I was surprised because it seemed like there's companies that would tr- traditionally be competing with each other, like Ericsson and like Cisco and other switch manufacturers. Yep. They traditionally are competing with each other, and here they with all vertically are vertically like, integrated platforms trying to lock, you know. Yeah, yes, with these massive vertical I- I- platforms that have these huge support contracts, and here they are all giving each other these back and forth tips on how to make everything work better with these different summits. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's it's kind of a great you know compromise where it's like yes, there's still money in you and providing solutions that can manage manage this stuff, and at the same time building communities to have a common foundation that anyone can use. Yeah, if this stuff gets your uh, interest going or or just building networks, building systems, solving problems, solutions, I encourage you to check out our sponsor, Linux Academy, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. They have labs and hands-on exercises that give you scenario-based labs with real experience. They have instructor mentoring from humans when you need it. It's not some sort of digital bot. It's not some sort of AI assistant. It's real human beings. Note cards that you can fork and make your own or look at community versions of them. Nuggets for when you don't have a lot of time. You can deep dive into a tiny bit of wisdom about a singular topic. Video courses with self-paced in-depth video courses for every Linux class cloud, and DevOps topic. Of course, they've got courseware on OpenStack, which plays well with Open Daylight, and obviously Azure as well. Check them out at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to support this show. Get yourself a great price and learn more. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. This is a great time to tie that in because if any of this kind of stuff is over your head a little bit, there's great courseware on all of this stuff. So I want to talk about Heather and Chris's experience. They were great to talk to. Heather's from the Linux Foundation. Chris is from Ericsson and also uh, works with the Open Daylight Project. And they talk about real world, how they use it, why the foundation cares, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm here with Chris and Heather, and uh, Chris is from Ericsson, and Heather is from the Linux Foundation, and I'm hoping they're going to fill in a few dots for us uh, from both cases. So, Heather, let's start with you. I'm, okay. I'm really kind of looking forward to picking your brain because I know a lot of folks listening have heard of the Linux Foundation. They've heard of Open Daylight. Maybe they don't know how the two are connected and where you fit in. So, yeah. 
fill me in. Yeah, so the uh, Linux Foundation uh, has started doing what they call uh, collaborative projects, where they are providing sort of the, the framework for other open source um, communities to sort of come together and form their project and be affiliated with the with the Linux Foundation, take advantage of the expertise that the LF has built up over the years around open source governance, communities, IPR, you know, you know licensing, events, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, so the Open Daylight was one of their very early uh, projects that they did in the networking space. Um, and that has been an area that has been growing a lot for the LF in the past several years. Mm-hmm. So um, as sort of the networking industry is looking to both, I think, take advantage of advances in software as well as sort of open source as a you know, sort of development strategy, um, a lot of projects have been flocking to the LF. So it seems like the Linux Foundation really made this connection at the right time because this is an area that's growing like crazy. So do you have a project that's connected with Open Daylight? Uh, Where's where's your role in there? Yeah, so um, I head up a project called uh, OPNFV, uh, which is focused on uh, network function virtualization, um, which uh, you may have seen in sort of Neela's keynote this morning, but it's a big use case for SDN, and it's uh, the way the sort of the the global operators are modernizing and transforming their networks to be more virtualized, more agile, and more software-based. And so we are a sister project to uh, Open Daylight, work with them uh, quite closely, as well as other um, LF and other open source organizations like OpenStack and things like that that aren't affiliated with the Foundation. So are you building on top of Open Daylight to, to... For your project, is that my understanding? So our project is actually um, very interesting as a systems integration project, oh, really. Okay. So as as an open source project, and uh, Chris is our technical steering committee chair, so oh. he can probably get into more details Perfect. about that. Uh, but what we do is we actually compose sort of an end to end NFE platform based on components that sort of fulfill different parts of the stack. So that could be Open Daylight or other open source uh, SDN controllers. It could be um, OpenStack. Uh, there's a new uh, uh, LF project called FD.io mm-hmm. that we also uh, sort of integrated in this time. We work with OVS, which That's is now newly an, uh, a Linux Foundation uh, CP. And so um, we sort of do that that work of building sort of a composed platform, doing system-level tests, and then taking feedback back to those upstream organizations to make all of their components more NFC-ready. Wow. wow. That's super important. So, Chris, how does this sort of translate to real-world things that matter to Ericsson? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, the NFV journey affects everyone, from the vendors to the operators. Um, it's, it's obviously an operator journey that the vendors need to be participating in. Uh, when it comes to the NFV platform and how it's built, uh, for us being able to to work collaboratively on, for instance, bringing Open Daylight into an OpenStack-enabled end-to-end solution, um, providing a framework for applications to run on, for, 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 for network orchestration, to, to, to overlay... Uh, it's extremely important for us to be part of that to, to help facilitate how that's going to work, how it best serves the operator's needs. Um, and, of course, as a, as a vendor, the, the, it provides us with that foundation on which we can we can provide our product. Mm-hmm. So Ericsson has a booth here, right? Yes, we do. And there's several staff members here. It seems to be something that's getting an area of a lot of focus. Uh, how, what's Ericsson's history with, with Open Daylight? Um, so we are a founding member. I have been serving on the technical steering committee myself of Open Daylight for the period that it's existed. <laughs> um, 
So that's, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> and he has been serving as our TSC chair since, at OP, since OPNFE exactly. since it has existed. <laughs> exactly. Um, so from an Ericsson perspective, we see open daylight as, as extremely important. When it comes to transforming the network, when it comes to enabling new use cases and new capabilities in a carrier environment, it, it is our platform of choice. It's what we believe is the best long-term and, and short-term bet to really bring that out and, and, and leverage uh, a cohesive and, and you know, diverse ecosystem. Yeah. Um, it fits into you know, OPNFV projects. It, it fits into the whole ecosystem and, and provides not just a, a vertical piece. A, a, lot of, a lot of components and a lot of CPs will solve a specific problem and do it right. very well. Uh, Open Daylight's a platform that provides you with the freedom to, to iterate and, and to, to sort of throw something on the side that can then interwork with what's sort of there, mm-hmm. uh, provides a, a place to innovate within the context of a broader network. So for us, it's extremely important that, that open daylight is healthy, that, that, mm. it, that it feeds the whole ecosystem, and that enables us, uh, our competitors, and, and our customers to, to really just innovate and create that new network. So what drew you to get involved personally with the project so long ago? Um, so I was, I was actually doing network management back in the day when Open Daylight started, um, and what we were finding in, in network management is that we were trying to propose new capabilities that we saw were really needed, um, and something like Open Daylight comes along and it's like, we're going to build these capabilities, and it's like, you know, aha, okay, this is where we need to be. And it was really clear, and, and it, Open Daylight brings the ability to modernize existing networks and adopt new technologies at the same time. So it's not just a here's a new technology or, or here's an old NMS or something. It, it, it finds that difficult place in between that allows you to, to move forward. Hmm. So what's next in your, in your eye for Open Daylight? Um, more of the same. Well, no, no, more. more. Um, just more <laughs> option, more involvement. More. Uh, more is yeah, more. More yeah. is more. More is more in this case. More no. momentum, all that stuff. Is in- yeah, so Open Daylight grows. Release over release over release. Every release I've been participating in, the, the, the things are more stable, the community's bigger, there's there's more commercial engagement. So from, from that perspective, this is what I think is, is next for Open Daylight as well. Um, what we see coming in the industry that can take advantage of that momentum um, is the ability for Open Daylight to work very you know, smoothly with OpenStack, to extend OpenStack mm-hmm. capabilities, bring in carrier and access technologies into that environment, um, and also work with how containers are going to integrate into that environment as well. Can you elaborate on that a bit? No. No. <laughs> 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 Docker, I don't no, know. So, so, so uses that. So here's a plug. So in the in the Colorado release, which we released yesterday, yesterday, it's still yesterday. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, our, our third release, yes. exactly. Um, on schedule. No, I, I mean, <laughs> on uh, schedule to the day that the we day. had agreed wow. to, um, like eight months ago yeah, or, right. or seven months ago. Seven months ago. So, um, so in the co- in that release, the Colorado release of OPNV, we have um, an NFV environment which contains LXD containers oh, and VMs, uh, and you can plug Open Daylight into that, and you can use Open Daylight in order to, to, to be able to, to network between the containers and the VMs. So you can then orchestrate your whole network. You're yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. End-to-end, front-to-back, you know, and, and, that's, that's, and that's why we're in OpenNV, because we, we're able to bring these technologies on board, new concepts, um, provide, a, uh, provide a platform upon which Open Daylight and others can, you know, integrate... 
um, build out and test new capabilities and prove them. So not just not just write a bit of code and put it through their, their compiler and have a, have a thing at the end, but actually prove and test end-to-end use cases. That's, hmm. that's the real value. It seems like you're modeling that way, like kind of how it's necessarily going to end up being deployed in the real world. That's what we're yeah. trying to do, exactly. I mean, we have, uh, in OpenV, we have things like the Pharos test. I'm going to let Heather talk. I talk too much. But Pharos, <laughs> I talk too tell much us about Pharos. Pharos. Yeah. <laughs> so Pharos is our uh, federated community test lab project okay. where both uh, end users and vendors are bringing uh, test labs uh, in different environments, so different hardware from different vendors and hardware across different architectures, and it's tied into our CI/CD pipeline so that we actually are deploying wow. uh, sort of various flavors of an NFV platform into multiple environments on mul- multiple hardware, yeah. and we do that many, many, many times heading into a release. So not only do we feel you're fairly comfortable we've gotten, say, OpenStack and ODL working with each other, we know that OpenStack and ODL are working with each other on, you know, sort of the, the OEMs that folks like Ericsson or Huawei or Cisco are using or Intel Whitebox, or this mm-hmm. time we added an ARM architectures mm-hmm. or, you know, Dell or HPE. So, you know, we're really That's sort of... Yeah, and it's... Um, yeah, and, and tied in and automated, and automated, so we actually are sort of both scaling our ability to do testing, but then also sort of doing a lot of the vendor oper- interoperability testing yeah. um, sort of just as part of our development yeah. process. Uh, wow. So if I wanted, if I'm listening and I want to learn more about OPNFE, mm-hmm. where would I go? Wiki.opnfv.org. Easy peasy. So they were both great to talk to, and we chatted some more. Um, we wrapped up. There was there'll be some other stuff you might hear from from in the future. But a little bit after that, you had a chance to go to another session. Uh, yes, I did. And which was that? Uh, I went to a talk uh, about bringing some Scala into the uh, Open Daylight code base. Right now, it's mostly a Java code base, and then I guess it's mostly configured in XML. Which are not not everyone's uh, favorite things. I'm sure Linus would not uh, would not love that. Not everyone's favorite, but they're you know obviously very much used in enterprise environments. And the talk was kind of interesting. There's not a large deployment of Scala right now, but I know some companies involved in Open Daylight are kind of playing with it. It brings uh, a more elegant approach. It's kind of a, a merged language that has both object oriented and functional design patterns included in it. Um, so it can be like, scale a little bit nicer. They showed some really interesting examples showing like here's all this Java boilerplate. Um, the Scala language also includes a lot of type inference, that sort of thing. So you can you can save on boilerplate code, um, nice. As well as at least for the current version of Scala, the XML XML parsing XML is pretty much part integrated into the language. So it kind of makes it very elegant to can work with the configurations when it's already valid Scala code. Yeah, not to mention if you've already got a lot of time spent with Scala, yeah. it's really nice that then you can move that time, that investment, and that knowledge and over. And then at the same time, the Scala code base can very or at least somewhat easily uh, reference Java code bases, Java libraries. Oh, that thing. yeah, thing. okay. So, saves a lot of time. Yeah. Um, now, that is uh, that is our experience. That's our Open Daylight Summit experience. We might have some future clips coming up uh, that aren't exactly Open Daylight Summit related. They were recorded there, including creating a new distribution around this and also managing community and infrastructure around this. But those okay. felt more like those could be applicable to a lot of different open source projects. So I think we'll probably play those in future episodes of the Unplugged show. Now, uh, Wes, flash check there. Uh, is uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Wimby, are you still on the line over there? Over. I see that name that I love. Uh, yeah. Wimpy. Hello, Wimpy. Yeah. Wimpy, um, I wanted to, uh, what are you learning now about Open Media Vault and sort of as a, uh, your reactions and follow-up to the review we did recently on the Linux Action Show? I know starting with perhaps uh, your thoughts on 
uh, how to actually get UPS monitoring working, which was a complaint I had in my review of Open Media Vault. Okay, so I have decommissioned my Open Media Vault 2 servers and now have Open Media Vault 3 servers all in, in. place. Oh, nice. All, yep. Not even stable yet, and you're all in. Yep, yeah. Uh, and I did that with 2 as well, actually. I was running 2, two whilst it was in beta for some nice. time. And that's really because I have faith in the project and the plugins that I need are available, so I'm making the switch. Um, yeah, I've got um, uh, a simple UPS. Uh, it's connected via USB. And the plugin in uh, Open Media Vault is the NUT plugin, which is the okay. Um, okay. the network UPS right. tool. Or I did see like that, that but that seemed like that was only applicable to UPSs uh, connected by IP that manage yeah. multiple machines. Yeah, it's it's I think um, you know a misnomer from the heritage of the project. It's been called NUT forever, but in actual fact, it can monitor. Um, UPSs that are plugged in over RS two three two and GPS. Oh, that's great! Well. Okay, I have one of those. So um, yeah, if you've if you've got a UPS that is compatible with NUT, it will work with Open Media Vault. And uh, yeah, the configuration changes that you might stick in Etsy default. Um, there's a little um, text dialog within Open Media Vault to send your UPS any additional config should it need it for listening to the mm. um so there's the some daemon. specifics allowed there that's nice yeah and then uh, and then you can hook that up so um the network piece is that you can have one box monitor the ups and then you can have other boxes monitor that machine so and or that machine tell the other boxes so in my case when that main server detects the ups has gone active it then tells everything else to shut down Mm, yeah, right. So if I had multiple servers, I could use that. That is nice. Yeah. That is really yeah. nice. Okay. Well, that's worth spending some time setting up then. Yep. Yeah. And then um, generally speaking, uh, I've got the Plex plugin up and running. Um, that's doing all of that. Um, I, I use NFS because I've got all of my local stuff sitting there running. Um, that I access that way. I've got one Samba share for when family visit and they might want to deposit some photos somewhere. <laughs> so I just yep. have a general purpose Samba share up and running for them to get data into. Yep. And then without using Open Media Vault itself, I have uh, a Dropbox, headless Dropbox running. Um, and I do that so that I have a, an always LAN sync copy of my Dropbox on the network. I've done that, that too. Makes sense, yeah. yep. But then what I also do is I do an R snapshot backup of that Dropbox. So if Dropbox ever go away for whatever reason, I actually have a full offline copy of my Dropbox. That's, I, I should relook at how I do that. I, I kind of do something similar, but I'm not using R snapshot, and that would be a good tool for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, I also have AptCasher NG, which uh, again is just installed because it's Debian at the back end. It's not through Open Media Vault itself, and that's so all of the machines I have on my network here, when they do their apt updates, they uh, go through this caching proxy rather than all sucking stuff down over yep. the, now, the network each time. Now, how, uh, boy, that is, shoot, that is something we should, let's talk about that more next week. Let's talk about how you do that next week. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I think that's I think that is that that's like that's like digital ocean level local like speeds there. I gotta I gotta talk about that. Um, yeah, and when you're connected to the internet or with a radio connection, you want that kind. Suddenly, of stuff these like. optimizations <laughs> become important. You know, I yeah. I wasn't sure if the review was fair or not. I had a really hard time afterwards. Like, it wasn't clear because I think it's a really good project, and I think it is much more competitive than people give it credit for, yep. or, or or really like the name recognition. It doesn't get the name recognition it deserves. Uh, yeah, it's it's bulletproof. I mean, you, yeah. you your criticism was you had a specific use case, which was connecting a server to another server over NFS, mm-hmm. or, um, or potentially a couple of backend. Yeah, and, uh, and I I'd yeah. suggest that maybe iSCSI is the better yeah. tool. Yeah, I think you're right. If that. iSCSI is supported by these, you know, um, storage appliances, that would probably be a better tool, and that would work. Yeah. And then it would show up in all of the applications as volume. Yeah. 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 That would be nice. I think uh, I, I think what I walked away with was a sort of relief. I know that sounds weird, but I have been feeling I have been feeling anxious that Linux didn't have a free NAS competitor. Yeah, sort of like no, we that's very well said. We don't have a great solid PF sense, at least in my estimation so far. Yeah. We don't have a great I'd solid agree with that. Yeah, a solid PF sense competitor. And I thought the same was true with FreeNAS. And then I looked at Open Media Vault and I realized uh, it's a pretty damn good product. And it, in some ways it's like it kind of the way it the way it is right now kind of echoes how it is the Linux version of the way, you know, the way FreeNAS is more compared to FreeBSD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and those things I like. Mm-hmm. I like those things about it. I like that it's based on Debian. I like Greyhole. I like the idea of managing my my uh, my storage with Greyhole. That's that really that that solved a problem for me that I had that I couldn't quite figure out <laughs> right. how I was going to solve. Um, and so th- it's a pretty competitive product, you know, and it has a great heritage, and it's based on a solid Debian base. And I wasn't sure how the review came off. But then we got we got the emails. The emails started coming in, and I got a few emails where people said, "Hey, after your review, I decided to give it a try. I'm switching over. I decided to give it a shot." And and that that That's feels right. good yep. because I didn't want to discourage people from trying it. Yeah, no, yeah. Because I'm absolutely. I'm actually going to put it in deployment at Angela's house, and if you think about it. That's sort of the most trusting scenario because I, I – You do not uh, want to go have to go deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to set it up. I want to give her a UI for it to work and I want it to be bulletproof. Yep. And I want to learn from that over time and you know I'm going to manage it, but I want it to be really self-reliant. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so uh, that's where we're going to go next. Probably I was next surprised week. to see that one of my coworkers had like a you know, oh, really? open media vault with ZFS set up. I was like – Oh, yeah? yeah? And you know, I mean he's, he's pretty, fairly technical, but – doesn't have a huge Linux history. So I was pretty, I was like, well, that obviously works pretty well for you if you can get that going. He's had it for a number of years. Yeah. Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, because uh, who was uh, Mosenrath? Mosenrath, if you don't know what we're talking about, Open Media Vault, go check out uh, the recent episodes of the Linux Action Show. If you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and you go to Linux Action Show page, we did an Open Media Revolt just a, like two weeks ago, episode 436 of the Linux Action Show. We did Open Media Vault versus FreeNAS because Bum, bum, bum. Bolt versus sells those clicks, man. It does. And both Noah and I have a lot of experience with FreeNAS. So it just made sense that we would be comparing it constantly to FreeNAS. It's what the market, you know. And it's what people are curious about. So that was episode 436 of the Linux Action Show, which is ridiculous that that number starts That's with a awesome, four. Right? That's crazy. Woo. Linux Action Show is ridiculous. And uh, also... If you want more um, Open Daylight Summit or software-defined networking or just want to get a better feel for what it's like to go to a summit like that, if you've never been, definitely check out the most recent episode, 437 of the Linux Action Show, 
or go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. There's a mini rover log posted of our trip to the Open Daylight Summit. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, we did a little video at that place that had the best burgers ever. Okay. Now, you can stop me at any point if a lie is coming out of my mouth. Okay, I will. I absolutely will. Um, At the lunchbox, while we were sitting there, a um in a, an intelligent, well spoken, attractive, well well dressed young lady came up, uh and 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 started a conversation with us and and why did she do that, Wes? That would be my Linux Action Show T-shirt. Is it? It was legitimately for the I, first time ever. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That was and great, we, and we didn't have it on camera, but we actually got approached because we were wearing a Linux shirt by a girl, and uh, she was there, a lady, a woman. I believe with uh, Intel. Yeah, I think she was there as as you know she was there, but she was just she loved Linux and she wanted she came up and said, "Hey, I saw you had a Linux shirt on. I just want to talk. Where can I find out more information?" So if she happens to be watching this episode of Linux Action Show, I don't remember your name, so be sure to tweet me at Chris Las. Yeah, please. We'd we'd love to have you as part of the community, yeah. part of the Mumble Room. You here. should join our Mumble Room. We're over at jblive.tv. And here's the nice thing: the Mumble Room is open to anybody, so you could join us. And I have been I have been hoping to get a female voice on this show for a long time. We get them from time to time when we invite them directly. Uh, but I know our community has. Yeah, it would be wonderful to have more. I, ha- I have a feeling that you just, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. It's, it is a totally low-pressure environment. You come hang out with us. We just check your microphone. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We make sure your microphone works, and then you can join us in our mumble room and take part of our virtual lug. You can get it all converted to the calendar page. You can also leave us your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar or Show. Dot reddit.com. Check out this Sunday's Linux Action Show. Do it. We're going to have our review of Plasma 5.8, the long-term support edition. We'll tell you how that goes. Hmm. I'm excited already. Also, I'm sure in future episodes of the Unplugged program, we'll have a little more interviews from the floor of Open Daylight Summit. So look forward to that, too. More community stuff, technical stuff, good stuff. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. All right, guys, head over to jbtitles.com right now and get your submissions in and vote, vote, vote. You heard it right. That's banksuggest.com. That is just how I say it. That's, that was good. <laughs> Go there now. Thank you. To For the a Mama second, Rose, I thought it was Chris. <laughs> hey, is that Chris? That's not Chris. For a second there, they thought it was. I mean, you already fooled them with that... Uh... Plasma video that only kind of sounded like you. <laughs> Who knows? We keep you guessing on this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. So, uh, Mr. Wimpy, are you um, employed, unemployed, employed again? What's your status right now? I am employed. Uh, I'm in my second week in the new job. And how is it going? Yeah, going very well. Thank you. Congratulations. Glad to hear that. And uh, already hard at work? Uh, yes. Yes. So uh, I've... Uh, been getting to know the team and i've been assigned some stuff to get on with 
and 1610s around the corner. So everyone's working on fixing the last bits and bobs for that. That sounds delightful. And uh, do you get to share what bits and bobs you get to work on? Uh, Well, I'm on the desktop team, so Mm -hmm. I'm working on desktop stuff. Um, So at the moment uh, for 1610, uh, I'm mostly working on some fixes for Unity 7. Um, But then in a couple of weeks, um, all of the Ubuntu engineering staff are getting together for a sprint to plan out the next six months and snaps snappy and unity eight feature in in all of that work i just saw a news item go by that uh the software center got support for screenshots of uh, snap packages so snap packages can have screenshots in the software center which is really nice yeah that is nice yeah and uh yeah there's um yeah so the the sprint that's coming up is a an internal company one but i was looking through there are some guests and some of the same community contributors that were um, at the Snappy Sprint are being invited back again. So that's good to see. And are you able to work from home, Wimpy? Are you going into an office? I work from home all the time. So Ooh. one of the things I've been busy with is actually building my home office. Oh, I would love it's to so, hear about that. Yeah. So that's finished now. That's been that's. You, what do you mean when you say build? Me. Like, what's the extent of that? Like, did you build well, a new room or did you like redo a room or did you set up a desk? Like, what's that when you say build an yeah, office? Yeah, I re- redid a room. So I used to have an office in the house years ago. And then after my daughter was born, that mm-hmm. room sort of became the room of crap and boxes <laughs> and everything that sort of, you Funny know, how that happens, gets huh? displaced when children <laughs> enter a house. And there are things that so, come in so many boxes, really. Oh, my goodness. So it was just like, six years worth of clutter and mess um so yeah it took about five weekends to clear it all up redecorate you know so i've got three desks in here and two racks and several servers oh that's great lots of laptops and computers all set up all easy access so i've got Hmm. lots of space to do my work were you able to uh make any accommodations for that podcasting thing that you find yourself doing so much now Yep, yeah. Nice. So the desk oh, I'm convenient. sat up here has got a um a road arm on it with the mic on it so that can swivel away out of the way when I'm not using it and the mixer's on the desk here. So yeah. It's That's all nice. uh, nicely arranged. It's very comfortable. It's nice when you get a chance to redo all that when you've sort of things have transitioned and you do new things and you kind of have new things that you need to accommodate. It's right. kind of it's a great time to be able to redo the Update. whole office. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And, you know, I was reading about working from home and one of the bits of advice was make sure your working environment is um, is comfortable and a nice place to be. So I've worked hard on that. And my wife's yeah. helped as well. So she, my wife has made this contraption where I've actually got a pull down green screen from the ceiling as well now. Now, but, look at this. Now, yeah. now what, what's yeah. the uh, what's the green screen for? Yeah. Well, occasionally I do um, video stuff and uh, green screen's handy for that. Yeah, I've noticed. um, (laughs) Also, um, my wife is a little bit privacy conscious, so uh, putting the green screen up means you can't see anything on her side of the Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that is uh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. So, she's put this green screen so I can pull the green screen down from the ceiling and uh, and tuck it away again when I don't need it. So, that's That's a nice... Mm -hmm. I was was thinking about doing something kind of like that in a spot that a workspace that I'm thinking about using. So... Uh, so was that actually like a kit you bought, or how did you get a how did you get a tuck away green screen? Yeah, uh, my wife made it, <laughs> so she bought the, I bought the fabric a while ago, and then she's bought all sorts of bits and pieces 
and actually constructed it herself. So I went away. So one of the things I was doing a couple of weeks ago is I went to uh, give some presentations to some uh, charities in this country about um, Linux and open source and uh, the role it might play in their organizations. And whilst I was away doing that for a few days, I came back and found this uh, green screen hanging <laughs> from nice. the ceiling when I came back. So, yeah, that was her little job whilst I was away, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't know she was going to do it. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Quite nifty. Huh. As you got the new computers, you got a new workspace. That's a good setup. Yeah, yeah, I'm all uh now you have no excuses. Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. I would love to. Uh, do they take do they have guests over there? Of course, you know, have you ever have you gone to their uh official it's like so how did that work? Like when your first couple of days and orientation did you travel? You traveled to an office, you spent time there, and then once your actual day-to-day work started, you went back to your home and started working <laughs> no no it was all done remote so no. i have been to the i had yeah yeah it was yeah so I've, i have been to the office once before but that was um you know as a community contributor right you might remember i took part in the um uh user oh, testing yeah, yeah. studies yep. Yep. For, for unity 8 a while back so that's the only time i've been to the to the main office um but no they uh the various departments liaise with you remotely and um leading up to it you you do things like sorting out your payroll and all of that with the hr departments right right. and then on day one you get um all of your accounts allocated and you through launchpad um you log in and then you're able to access an area where you can access all of your credentials and then the first day is basically setting up all of your sure you know access to everything yeah, yeah and uh and then as you access things you then find out it's like it's a bit like a um uh an adventure game you know as as you set up an account and access something you then find oh there's all of these extra things you need to do <laughs> so <laughs> first few days is sort of you know tra- chasing around and getting yourself set up on all the systems and yeah learn where everything stuff. is mm-hmm. but yeah that all happens all happens remotely that's slick wow impressive yeah it is, it is actually it's it's fairly impressive I guess I guess that is probably they've probably worked in a mode where so many of their workers are remote for so long that they, they, that's how, yeah exactly what you do. And you think you know it's kind of it's kind of funny because that's got to be coming more and more common because even kind of common for us we work with probably more people remotely than we do. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, I guess it's just kind of becoming the way more modern businesses is happening. So you should get like a 4K video wall <clears throat> and it's like everyone's in the same room. Ah, <laughs> uh, just settle for mumble. I'll settle for mumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have put a TV up on on one of the back walls in the office with a Roku attached Ooh. to it to uh, have bits and bobs playing in the background whilst I'm working. You know, stay up to speed on the news and things, and yeah. listen to podcasts. Yeah, I uh, I I have gotten a lot of distance out of a Roku and now the Android TV to the point where uh, it's sort of changed the way I do my own content. Because it's it is um, the YouTube the YouTube algorithm is once you start feeding it properly mm-hmm. is actually pretty good in a weird it like does, yeah, yeah. It, it manages every day now to expose something that I find interesting to watch on YouTube and it, now it's all just sort of integrated into my television so I listen to uh, a lot more YouTube shows than I used to and then I have I have I have ways from Pocket Cast directly on my TV to uh, 
Chromecasting it or uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever, whatever method you want to get the audio to move around so I can listen to podcasts on my TV too and then continue to play them on my phone later. It is getting to the point now where uh, when I first started doing podcasts, the only people that were listening were people that were downloading the files and then syncing them to a device of some type that was capable of doing right, playback of some player. kind. Yeah. And maybe through like a tape adapter in the car or something like it's legitimately like it was there wasn't really there wasn't Bluetooth in the cars. Mm -hmm. There weren't smartphone apps. There weren't uh, Internet connected TV set top boxes. And it was and now like you can get the JB Roku app or the or the JB uh, Cody add on, which Rob Loach is uh, working on right now. You can get and then you can just like you can just watch all our stuff like it's just it's just it's on this. There's a there's a here's an icon for Jupiter Broadcasting. Here's an icon for CBS News. It's like we're all like on the same Playing field, yeah. you just have to know about it. So we're not on the same dis- – like discovery is still a challenge. Mm-hmm. But the availability from where it was eight, nine, ten years ago, oh, my God. Yeah, so I love the Roku. I love the Android TV. Not huge on the Fire, but – Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've kicked my um, Amazon Fire TV into touch um, now. It, it lasted about a year before the Roku, the, the new Roku just yeah. surpassed it in terms of media playback. Yeah. The, the gaming aspect of the Fire TV was fun, but it wasn't yeah. enough to keep it keep it um, yeah. in the room. That is that is a surprising. That is when I'm coming. So I you know I have the Shield TV at the RV, and um, the kids are driving more gaming. Oh really? And it wasn't really something. So that when you buy an Android Shield TV thing, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. a Nvidia Android Shield TV, whatever, uh, it it comes if you get the cheap one, the one that I actually. I paid full price for, it comes with a game controller and not a remote. And I thought, oh. and it's a it's a decent, like, Xbox 360 knockoff game controller. Okay. Yep. Um, and I thought, that's weird. And then if you get, like, the pro version, it comes with a remote and a controller. <laughs> and so they really put an emphasis on the controller. And I, I, I now have started to realize that what NVIDIA is doing is they're combining, like, a curation of really good Android games, like mm-hmm. the really good ones, the ones that, like, don't I don't even I don't even really know, I didn't know some of these games were even available for Android. Plus, they're combining it with like some sort of remote GPU streaming service that they offer that was like on live. See, that's really nice. I haven't tried that yet, but so you can get all kinds of regular desktop games for a seven dollar a month subscription, and the kids. That sounds great. It's for them. It's 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 fantastic. And so a we're getting price. There's probably a lot of games for them to try. And so like right now on the on the Shield TV we have uh, like a Mickey Mouse game and a Ducktales game and uh, Raymond Runs games. You know, just really basic games. Yeah. But for for young kids that can they can now get to play their their experience of gaming so far has been on an iPad or a, or a, yeah. or an Android tablet. Like it's very it's very like. It's a very a vertical, kind of, yeah. you know, personal gaming experience. It's not a collaborative gaming experience. It's not a whole the whole family sitting on the couch, on the all TV, right. yeah, all trying to figure it out. And that's what's been really interesting is now all of a sudden we've we just sort of stumbled into this because the Shield TV has all this gaming capability. Just and we started you know a while ago on the Roku with some of the simple games like Angry Birds and stuff like that. And that's kind of where I had a sense that they would be into it. But I, I don't have the funds to buy a gaming console. Yeah. But the Shield TV has some legitimate graphics. Multi-purpose. Trine 2, which I realize is not the newest game, but oh my God, does Trine 2 look at yeah. – on, at 1080p on your television. I've had they older just, laptops that yeah. struggle with that. We just you know, sit there with our, with our mouse gaping. It's so gorgeous. It's just, it's just really, really, really beautiful, and it's 60 frames a second, smooth, you know, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that has been a surprise is because now it's dad. Can we dad? Can we not? What do we want to watch? But what we can what can we play? And what's been interesting is how adorable they all are working together trying to solve the problem. You that's know, which is really cute. yeah, it is like oh, that's 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 the nice thing about having on a TV that a console kind of brings into a family that having a computer or a tablet doesn't really, and just sort of fumbled into it a little bit. Yeah, well, 